0: I'm out. Green light is on. Got me. Have I got to redo all that stuff I've just said? No. <laughs> oh, okay. The reason that we we're told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and Bill was talking about... A biblical, giving us a biblical understanding about what the fear of the God is. Fear of God is from the Sunday school uh, this morning. And I'll just quote Paul Washer for you. And i agree with him entirely. If you're here this morning and you have no fear of God, you are stupid. That's what Paul Washer said. And that is implied by the Word of God. The word stupid and foolishness is used all through the Scripture. We remember in Acts chapter 2, we are to uh, serve the Lord, in verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with what? Trembling. Those things work together. So we are working out our fear and trembling because it is God, if you will, the Holy Spirit within us, working that which is good, that which is well-pleasing unto the Father, in our life. We remember then in reading of the Gospels in Luke chapter three, verse sixteen, for instance, in Matthew chapter three, verse eleven, John the Baptist is talking about his ministry when the Pharisees and others have come to him and asked him, Was he the Christ? Who is he if he wasn't the Christ? And he said, No, but there's one among you whose sandal straps, whose shoes I'm not worthy to Button or unbutton his sandals off of his feet. And he is coming and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's what's going to happen. When he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I often think about the last words that I've heard people say. The last words with anyone and from a friend, a loved one, or the situation that went on around the passing from this life of that friend and that loved one, that is often, and it should be, engraved, etched deeply, in our memories. We remember what happened. I remember the passing of Raynette's mother with Kathy and Brenda and me in the room. She wasn't saying anything, but there was a lot being prayed. There was a lot being said. Scripture was being read. That is impressed very deeply in my heart. I remember what was said at that time. And we should do that. And so we find something in Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 1 through verse 15. And our Lord is about to enter into His glory. He has come, He's lived, He's died, He's resurrected, He's been with the disciples 40 days, and He's about to leave. He's about to ascend. And we're about to hear His last words to His people, to His disciples. And there weren't just 11, there was 120 minus the 11. So there were other people there besides the apostles, besides the disciples also. And we hear the Lord saying these words. Well, let's just begin in verse 1 as Luke takes up the narrative. In the first book, he's talking about the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit. He had given commands to the apostles whom He had chosen. He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Underline that, if you have not in your Bible, maybe. But there is a promise from the Father that he's told them about already. You're going to see, wait for the promise from of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. They've been hearing about the promise of the Father from Him in His entire ministry, but especially as they spent the last night of His life with them before the crucifixion. That begins in John chapter 13, goes to chapter 16, and you hear His prayer before He's betrayed into the hands of the enemy in chapter 17. But He talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He talks about that it's expedient. Even though they're sad because He's told them I'm going away, He said it's expedient. It's necessary that I depart. Because if I don't, the Comforter will not come. Speaks of Him as being the Spirit of truth. who would tell you all things that I have said to you. He will not give of His own. Hear from me, and that what he hears from me, that is what he gives to you. The Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's going to be a counselor, going to be a comforter, he's going to be a leader, and he's going to work in you in such a way that you have authority which he said, I'll read verse, starting with verse 4 again, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. Listen, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But I would cause you to remember something in the Scriptures that we see. This is not something that happens one time, as you're going to see, There's a difference between the, the uh, uh, being filled with the Spirit and being sealed by the Spirit. There's a difference that we're going to see in the Word of God here this morning. Between being sealed and being filled. Being filled is something that happens numerous times. For instance... These same men, and who were in Acts chapter two, were filled with the Holy Spirit. and They begin to preach, and then they begin to go out into the streets. And a young, a man gets healed who had been crippled all of his life. And these men stand before the people and the leaders of the country and tell them how this has happened. They declare Jesus. And they got threatened. But what do you find those same men doing, those same 120 people doing again in Acts chapter 4? They're praying. They've heard uh, to the Lord. said, Lord, you've heard all their threats. You've heard what they've said to us. You've heard them say that we're not to preach in this name anymore. Stretch forth your hand. Be merciful to us. Do you remember what happened? The house was shaken again. There was a wind, so to speak, that came again. And these same men were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They went out and they began to bear witness. They began to bear witness to Jesus. They began to bear witness concerning the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to talk to you about as individuals, and us as a church. We are to be, and so we must ask the question, how is it that we are to be a people and a church that's bearing witness unto our Lord Jesus Christ? That's very important what I said. A witnessing church unto the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're for. To bear witness to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray every day. I mean, Bill prayed. I prayed. You prayed probably before you got here that God would make this happen. That the Holy Spirit would come, that He would guide us, that He would lead us, that He would come in a special way here today and enable me to teach and enable you to hear and enable you to receive that Jesus might be seen more clearly and His Word might be heard and our hearts and minds be have an understanding and we be renewed in the spirit of our minds. How is it we're to be a witnessing church? We say it all the time. I can't do this. I am not sufficient for these things, says Paul, of and in and of myself. My sufficiency in is in and it is of Christ. And I can do all things. How? Through the Lord Jesus who strengthens me. We say that all the time. And so, uh, we read on. And so, when they had come together, they asked Him... If we have time, we'll deal with this. Lord, will you at this time, I'm in verse 6 of chapter 1 again. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed. We spend so much time there, but it's not for us to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now he reiterates something he's already said, something he's already said to them over and over in Acts fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. He says it again. But get your mind back here. Get back to this spot. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. But verse 12, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered They went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Underline that. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brother, And in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about one hundred and twenty. That's where we stop. Pray with me. Grand here this day, O great, glorious, and mighty God that we praise You with our whole heart for the wonderful, glorious revelation of Your love in Christ Jesus our Lord. For we see that all our hope, all of our hope, lies in His passion and in His death. And we praise You in wonder that You should so love us so love us that you would give your eternal Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We're amazed that He was made a man and then was despised and rejected by the very men that He came to bless. We wonder right now in praise and in adoration That He bore our sins and that He was numbered with the transgressors and that He died the death of the criminal with our guilt upon Him on the cross. We adore You, O Father, as we thank You for this great love and the gift of Jesus. And we adore You, Lord Jesus, for giving Your life for our sake. And we at the same time and equally adore You, blessed Holy Spirit, for enabling us to know this wonderful mystery and enabling us to put our trust in Jesus. And now, unto You, the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we pray, we do so in reverence, and we ask that we may see You yet more clearly, O God, in the face of Jesus Christ, that You would give us as much light as these mortal eyes can bear. It's in Christ's name, and it's for His sake, that we pray this this morning. Amen. Amen. And so our Lord is entering into His glory. He's, this is happening before our very eyes. And He's promising it one more time the Holy Spirit with His last words. These should be like a pitcher in our heart. Should be like a pitcher in our heart. These should be words that ring in our ears always, always, and in every circumstance And thus, our souls should delight in what the Lord said to us in His last words. You're going to receive fire. You're going to receive power. You're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit as with, with fire. And you're going to be my witnesses unto the uttermost parts of the earth. It should delight our souls and rejoice our hearts. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, my friends, is not only for the early church, but I would also say that it is not to confine to miraculous gifts and tongues. And that's where most people want to confine it. That's what they want to talk about. Miraculous gifts and tongues. We believe that God is sovereign. If He wants to heal somebody, He'll heal them, and nothing can make that happen outside of His sovereign loving will. We believe in that, and so we pray that for people. But it's not confined to miraculous gifts, and it's not confined to people getting together and somebody tapping somebody on the head and somebody falling over and calling it slain in the Spirit. They're out ten minutes, and the Lord imparts something to them, and all these things going on. I talked to a guy for a solid hour or more this week trying to tell him about why the Holy Spirit had come. He's come, he said, Jesus said, what's he going to do? Testify of me. Tell you about me. Exalt me. And you're going to be a changed people as a result of it. You're going to be a humble people. You may not get healed, but in your lack of healing, you will be humbled and a glorifying, a person who glorifies God. That's not what it's about. And we have lost it because we don't want to talk about this anymore because that's talked about so much over there and we just want to steer away from it. But we shouldn't. They can't have it. The lie can't have it. And so, this is not confined to miraculous gifts, but this is something that will last as long as the church is a militant church. As long as the church has the duty and the joy, if you will, of bearing witness unto Christ. And that is something that it will be until the end of the earth. Until the end of the time. And it wasn't just for Jerusalem and Galilee and the places in Asia or Europe. It wasn't just for that place. It's for the entire world. It's unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And that's something that we are going to be, or supposed to be, until the end of time, to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, in verses 4 and 5 there, we find something of comparison that is made between the baptism with the Holy Spirit and John's baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. We already read it. This is something, the baptism for the remission of sins, John's baptism. It's already, there are many of the disciples that were with Jesus that had been a part of that. Matter of fact, some of them Heard John say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They were there. And from John's presence they followed the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who truly turned from sin to God were later baptized with the Holy Spirit as with fire. They later received the promise of the Father. There was repentance from dead works that came first. They were sealed, as we're going to see. And afterward, the baptism came of the Holy Spirit in the Holy Spirit. They were filled by the Spirit, or the Spirit came upon them, however you want to say it. And it was as with fire, and things began to change in their life. And this is something that is not to be explained away. The Scripture tells us to prove all things. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19-22, through we're told not to grieve or not to quench the Holy Spirit. We're told to not despise prophesying. And we're told not to grieve the Holy Spirit. That's important. Do you ever think about in your walk in life, whether or not you might be quenching or grieving the Holy Spirit in what you're doing or not doing, thinking or not thinking, the plans you're making or not making, Is that something that is a part of your thinking? But as we set ourselves to prove all things, and I've read in the New American Standard, in the New uh, King James, in the Old King James, in the ESV, and everything I could get my hands on about how I am supposed to look at this. I'm seeking to prove all things here. And as you search this, what you're going to see, you're going to see a place that exists between two extremes. Two extremes. One of them is an extreme of undiscerning enthusiasm, foolishness, undiscerning enthusiasm, all about me. And the other one is the spirit of unbelief. When they concern that subject. And the Holy Spirit is grieved by both those counts. Both of them. Hearing what Jesus has said, as we talked about in John chapter 13 through 17, go I encourage you to go home and read 13 through 17, 13 through 16, 14, 15, and 16 at least. Read those having seen, hearing what Jesus has said there and is now saying in His last words before His ascension, we should know. There's something we should know. We should feel our lack. There's something lacking here or the Lord wouldn't have said that. There's something wanting here or the Lord would not have said that. We should know, we should feel our want, our lack of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit our need from Him. We, When we feel that and we've come to know the Lord Jesus, we've come to know His saving work, then what will happen? We will welcome the Holy Spirit the more because it is in our hearts It is in our hearts this great desire and we delight to testify of Jesus, to Jesus, to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what our world is about now. We want to do that. We live and move to do that. We have being to do that. To exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. And to praise His wonderful works and His deeds in our life. That's what our life becomes about. What is the chief end of man? Go back to our first catechism question to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Enjoy Him forever. Forever starts now, (laughs) it's going to get better later, but it starts now. Enjoy Him forever. Imagine, my friends, with me, if you could use your imagination with me for just a few minutes, imagine what would have happened if the disciples had not followed His command. Go, He said, said, and wait. tarry, stay in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere else until you receive the promise of the Father that you've heard from me. Until you're endued with power. The baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire. What if they had not followed that? And it was a command. Read verse 4. He ordered them not to depart from the city until this happened. A command. What if they had done something different? What if they hadn't continued in prayer? And you notice in our reading what they went to do? They went and they continued in prayer. Prayer. Not just 11, but 120 of them continued in prayer for another 40 days until the day of Pentecost was fully come. They became a praying people. Of a sudden they're becoming a people that's doing what the Lord Jesus said. But what if they hadn't obeyed? If they hadn't continued there? If they hadn't obeyed His Word and they had Their labor would have been in vain if they had said, well, the Lord's ascended, I've seen that, and now I'm going to go out and start preaching. What would have happened? If the Lord does not build the house, what? You labor in vain. If the Lord does not guard the city, you stay awake in vain. We are to do what He tells us to do. And not just then, but now also. Their labor would have been in vain. Nobody would have heard what they were saying. There would have been no authority. And the same, my friends, is true for me and you. If we go out from this place to proclaim the tidings of joy, the tidings of great joy, as the angel said at the coming of the Lord Jesus, If we go out not clothed with power from on high, that we find in the presence of God. If we go out with our lips not touched like Isaiah with a live coal from the altar of God. That man, that priest in the temple of God was touched, unclean lips he had. He knew it with a live fire from the altar of God and now he says I'll go. And even though he's going to go to a people who don't who aren't speaking a foreign language, but they're not going to hear and they're not going to understand and they're not going to do what they're supposed to do, but nonetheless he's going in the power of the spirit. He's going with his lip, after his lips has been touched, he's been in the presence of God. The angels are crying, "Holy, holy, holy!" The temple is shaken. He sees the Lord high and lifting up, and his train filling the temple. And from there, from there, he goes to preach, to bear testimony. And again, that's not just for Isaiah. His people, the nation of Israel, were to be a witnessing nation. We are to be a witnessing people. How often though do we go out without waiting, without watching in prayer? Where does it go? I know we're to be instant in season and out of season. We're, We're praying people. Jesus told... The disciples on his last night again, some of his last words they heard from him. Will you hear these last words when he says, as he goes to the garden of Gethsemane, watch with me and pray. But they didn't. They fell asleep. Several times, I think three, he came back and he finds them sleeping. And he finally has mercy and he knows they are but dust. He says, are you sleeping? Sleep on For the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is indeed weak. We ought to always pray, says Paul. And from that place, we go and bear witness unto the Lord. How often do we, though, go without waiting, without watching in prayer? What do we think? Well, we think my message is sufficient. I have prepared myself. I've spent a lot of time in preparation to declare what I'm about to declare. I'm ready. I'm sufficient. This is going to work out, man. I have got a degree from here. I've got a master from there. I've got a doctorate from there. And there's nothing matter with masters. There's nothing matter with your doctorate. I've been to the best seminary. I've listened to the best theologians. I listen to them all the time. And I'm going to go from there, buddy. I'm going to get something done. No, you're not. It's that your confidence? Is that your sufficiency? Christ is our sufficiency. I'm not saying you shouldn't go there. You should. I wish I'd gone to Westminster West or Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. I wish that. I wish I'd sat under Dr. Joey Piper for years. But you can do all that. All those things can happen. But unless you go in the power of the Spirit from the presence of the Lord, my friends then you're not glowing. And you should be. Your heart is not warm. Your heart is not burning with love for Jesus or the love of Jesus. I may not have tasted the heavenly things that I speak of. We have no business preaching here or anywhere else until we've tasted the things that we're speaking of. And we taste them in the presence of the Lord. There should be a smell and an aroma around God's people. That is just the result of them being in the presence of the Lord. When Peter, James, and John were witnessing of Jesus before the Pharisees when they were called into trial, what did they say? They couldn't deny it. These men have been in the presence of Jesus. What were they? No, they had the guys that had graduated from seminary all around them. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the lawyers were all around them. And they thought everything was fine because of where they came from and their bloodline. But Jesus says, No, it's not. No, it's not. They have a bunch of poor fishermen. Now Paul's a smart one, isn't he? So that we're not leaving anybody out here. A very educated man. Very well read man. But it comes from the presence of the Lord Jesus. We have the savor of the sweet smell. Can I use this phrase that I will? We don't smell like we've been in heaven's kitchen. I could always tell what Melmo Pierce had been cooking wherever she met me, right? the grandmother. She'd come out, she smelled like meatloaf, or she smelled like, maybe this is a poor example, she smelled so sweet of, of some kind of casserole, some kind of pie that she was making. I know where she's been before she told me, Lisa Paul, I've got an alpha pie in here, come on and get some. I could tell she'd been there. She'd been there. And so what I want us to do in the time that we have, (laughs) I'm still working on the introduction. I want us to think about, consider if you will, the nature of this baptism, the marks of this baptism, and when it is given. I believe we can safely say that something more is meant than by being renewed in the spirit of our mind. That's plain. It's plain because the disciples were already found in Christ. He's already opened their minds to the Scripture back before, in Luke chapter 24, I think it's in verses, and we may read it, 44 through 49. They've already been in the presence of Christ already found in Christ. But let me just say this. The baptism of the Spirit is the great promise to all of the Israel of God. Read verse 4 of our text. The promise of the Father. Stay there. Wait. Wait. Do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Which He also said, you've heard from me. Wait for this. The baptism of the Spirit is the great promise to all of Israel. You find it in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. You find it in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49. The Holy Spirit is the first fruits of glory. Wow. He is The first fruits of glory. Look in Romans chapter 8 with me. Romans chapter 8. And if you've got a a, a book like mine that's got these headings, top heading, chapter 8 of Romans is Life in the Spirit. (laughs) Life in the Spirit. And we find in verse, um, well, let's start at verse 18. For I consider, says Paul, that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Something else is coming, he's saying. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Listen. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are those who have the first fruit of the Spirit. And we're waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, for the rest of it to happen. The Holy Spirit is the first fruits of our glory. And let me just say, our completed inheritance, when sin shall be no more in us, no longer be found in us, when all is rejoicing, when all is wonderful in the presence of God, when it will no longer be found in us, my friends, that is just the fullness of the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit in its fullness. We're sealed now. understand that He is the guarantee of our future inheritance. Look in Ephesians chapter 1. There's many places, but I've just chosen two or three. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. And we're going, it's also in chapter 4, verse 30. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 13. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What? He who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. He is the guaranteer. He is the guarantee that in chapter 4, verse 30, it says this, talking about grieving the Holy Spirit again, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You've been sealed by the Spirit of God. You belong to God, and God has sealed you with His Holy Spirit and we are moving from glory to glory, from faith to faith. We are the now and the not yet. We are those who have been, or have been delivered, are being delivered, and will yet be delivered into this eternal state of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The Reformation Study Bible gives an interesting note here uh, on guarantee in verse 14. If you have one, you can look at it with me. It's page 1705 if you have one of these Bibles. The Spirit is not only a fulfillment of God's promise, they're saying, to indwell His people, but also is a guarantee that He will bring them to their final inheritance as a down payment of first installment on their full redemption. The Spirit is a foretaste of the glory of of the age to come, and their reference is Romans eight, which I just just read to you. He is the foretaste of the glory of the age to come. Have you tasted and seen and and known that the Lord is good? That you've tasted that, you've tasted something of that glory. Now, Second Corinthians chapter one, verses nineteen through twenty-one, just to give. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established, and I'll let the word of God interpret the word of God. Second Corinthians chapter one verses nineteen through twenty-one. What do we find? For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him. Is always yes. And there's a reason for that. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Now what are they going to Jerusalem to wait for? The promise of God. Right? Until you receive the promise of the Father. And all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. Yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And is this God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and given, and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee? It could be interpreted as a down payment. That's a wonderful truth, friends. That's a wonderful truth. Now we take that and we look at Ephesians chapter five, verse eighteen, and we under look at that in in light of everything that we've been saying. We've been told there things that we shouldn't do because at one time we were darkness, but now we're light in the Lord. And as children of light, we are. Uh, Praying for the fruit of light to be found in us. Things that are good, things that are right, things that are true. And he tells us in verse 15 to look carefully how you walk. Don't walk as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of the time. Redeem the time. Why is that? Because the days are evil. And don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is is that be we be a witnessing church. You be a witnessing man and woman to the glory and honor of Christ, exalting Christ. (coughs) Paul, that's what he did. Everywhere he went, read their sermons, friends, read their sermons. He witnessed for Christ. He had a testimony. After Acts chapter 9, he gave his testimony all in Damascus and nobody liked him for that. And you find him at the very end of his life, at the end of Acts, what's he doing before Agrippa and Festus? He's preaching Christ, but how's he doing it? He's giving his testimony. He's bearing witness unto Christ that all that Christ had done unto him, for him, and the great glory that he expected to know in him and in him alone. And so he says, instead of doing all those things, verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. How often do you pray, Lord, fill me. Lord, I I want more of You. I want more of Christ. I want to die more unto sin. Live more unto righteousness. I want to... Lord, I want to bear the image of the Creator after whose image I am created. I'm in Colossians 3, 9 and 10 and Ephesians 4, uh, 24 through 25 right there. We're created after the image of God the way that we were supposed to be in true knowledge, righteousness and holiness. I desire that. I want that God. Fill me with that. That, that I might die more and more into sin and live more and more into righteousness and I go tell people about it. When's the last time you told somebody about it? And so be filled with the Spirit. I'll read again out of the New American, uh, out of the ESV version, and from Reformation Study Bible. I'm also going to read something from Joel Beakey and his group at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. It's going to be in your if you've got your Reformation Heritage King James Bible with you, it's going to be in that. And Whitfield agrees with me. And I can't tell you the number of the old Puritans that agree with what I'm saying. They say this while the sealing of the Spirit, which is what we just talked about, is a once for all initiation into the Christian life, that's justification. That's adoption. You're never going to get any more adopted, really. You're never going to get any more justified than you are right now. But sanctification is a work in progress, and that is the work of the Spirit. And he says this, "...while sealing of the Spirit is a once-for-all initiation into the Christian life, the filling of the Spirit applies to all the Christian life." This filling is not only repeatable, but is to be sought again and again and again. In the parallel passage in Colossians, Paul tells Christians to let the peace of Christ govern their hearts and to allow the Word of Christ to dwell in them richly. The one who is filled with the Spirit is filled with Christ and he's filled with His Word, according to John fourteen sixteen twenty six, 26 and all manner of Scripture. Joel Beakey, Puritan Reformation Theological Seminary, says this about this uh, imperative form of a verb, be filled, and you notice there's a capital S there, what you're to be filled with. They say the present imperative form of the verb, be filled, implies a continual duty. It is a daily drinking deeply of Christ through faith in the Word of Christ. Friends, it's not walking down the aisle and saying, "I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit," and people coaching you on how to speak in tongues or knocking you down. Or that's not what it is, and we don't give it up to that. We don't give this truth away to that. People are being deceived and led astray all around us by something that is not true. Put it, mildly. So, what should we say then? What do I say to this? <laughs> I say I need to hurry up. We understand that Jesus had the Spirit without measure. That's not true with us. And there's a lot of people who get the deity and the humanity of Christ confused, I think. is something that we should not do. Jesus The Holy Spirit came upon him. He entered into ministry. He was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. And he come from the wilderness after his temptation. Luke chapter four, in the power of the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit in his humanity. And they give him the scroll in the synagogue to read. And he opens to the place in Isaiah where it starts with, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to set and goes on. Wonderful words. Of great joy. And then he preaches the gospel from that point. That's our example. He didn't have the, he had the Spirit without measure. There's this measure with us until we come to this fullness. And so what we should do now is to take whatever measure of the Spirit we enjoy now and we take it as a foretaste of the joy and of the glory and of the fullness of what it is to be ours. That's how we take it. It's like a drop that we have right now. It's like a drop in the ocean of what shall be. It has not yet entered into the heart or the mind of man. At the end of the book of Ephesians, I was reading a while ago, what God has in store for those who love Him. It's not yet even entered into your heart. You can't conceive it. Isn't that good news? It is. And to... Undervalued, this baptism of the Spirit is the beginning of all downgrade and decline. We can't produce it ourselves. That's what happened in the Great Awakening under Edwards and Whitfield. There was a wonderful awakening. The Holy Spirit coming upon people, convicting them of sin, things happening, and then they began to try to reproduce it themselves. You cannot do that. You... God's sovereign in this. We pray for revival, but you need to come before you get on the piano and you need to come before you come into this building. I need to come before I get into this building from the presence of the throne room of God. We all have something to give here in our prayers. And our giving and our raising of our hands and our giving of our times and the voices, our voices making melody together in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, speaking to one another in love. So let me ask you, and I'll go through this very quickly, and I'll get to a point that I'll close and we'll finish next week. Are we baptized with the Holy Spirit? Then not only has condemnation ceased in your conscience or in mine, but we have also known a refreshing from the Lord. A refreshing from the Lord, from the His presence. We've also known a communion of that which we've longed for. You can know it. That's what John said. I'm preaching to you, I'm teaching, I'm I'm telling you, our fellowship is with God, it's with Jesus. Have you been baptized with the Spirit? Then you've been forgiven much. And so you forgive much. You forgive freely. You forgive freely because you've been freely forgiven. You love much because we've been loved much. We give ourselves to Him who gave Himself for us. Do you understand? He gave Himself for you. And so what's it to ask that We give ourselves to Him heart for heart and surrender for surrender. What do I mean by this? That, simply this. He worked with all of His heart for us. He gave all of His heart unto the Father. All of His heart was in what He was doing. All of His being was in what He was doing. I'm here for one thing, to do those things that are pleasing unto the Father. To redeem those, Father, that You've given to Me. To work in such a way that I do not lose a single one of them, Lord. And I haven't lost a single one of them. All of His heart, friends, Heart for heart. Surrender for surrender. He surrendered Himself to this life. He took on the likeness of sinful flesh in surrender. He emptied Himself. And He became like one of us. The Word became flesh. Born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. He surrendered Himself to this life to humiliation, to tiredness, to hunger, to shame. Finally, he surrenders himself to the cross, to the flogging before he gets there. He surrenders his arms and they put their nails there. He surrenders his feet and they put their nails there. He surrenders his life and he dies. And he surrenders himself and they pierce his side. What else can he do? An old man. I pray you receive this. Because that's the only way you can get it. You are what you are by the grace of God. And you have not received anything that hasn't been given to you. And it's given to you by the Holy Spirit. The surrender of yours, it's not because you're better than me or I'm better than you or Tom's better than Dick and Harry. That's not it. It's the working of God causing us to see this, to open our eyes to it, to surrender to it. Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Then we're struck with awe. We're struck with wonder at the excellence of our Lord. We're on fire. And we have a very, 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 very high esteem for Him. Our hearts are full of love and our mouths are full of praise for this Jesus. We're on fire with this. Baptized with fire. It is the nature of fire. Let me just go there very quickly because you be baptized with the Spirit and with fire. As with fire. Have you ever noticed the nature of fire? you thought about the nature of it? What does it do? Well, the first thing it does is give light. Fire gives light. This is the form of fire right here, if you will. And so when the Spirit comes and we're baptized as with fire... Then truth enlightens our hearts. Truth enlightens our hearts. And Christ is set before us. We see who He was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. We see His coming, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We see His living. Tempted in every way as you and I, yet without sin. We see His dying. And we see His perfect obedience on the cross as He takes our guilt upon Himself. Our eyes are opened to this by the light of the Holy Spirit shining on us as fire. He enlightens our eyes. We see this perfect obedience in the life and in the death of Christ. And not only that, we see His glorious reign. That not only has He come, not only has He lived, not only has He died, but He is resurrected. He's ascended right, to the right hand of God. And now He reigns forevermore His, as King of kings and Lord of lords. We see this to the degree that we've got to tell somebody. You've got to tell somebody. Got to. We're kind of like Mary and Martha. Lazarus comes out of the tomb. You've got to tell somebody. We're like the woman who is called in adultery, and everybody's wanting to stone her to death to accuse her, and she's brought before Jesus, and Jesus says, "Where is your condemners?" She said, "They've all gone, Lord." After he. Done with the things that he had done and he said, neither do I condemn you. She had to go tell somebody that she was not condemned by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jairus, after his daughter is raised, guess what? I've got to tell somebody. The paralytic that was let down through the hole in the roof and Jesus forgives his sins and tells him to take up his bed and walk and he does. Guess what he's got to do? He's got to tell somebody. I could just go on and on and on with incident after incident after incident. Just the demoniac in Mark chapter 4. Crossing over after the storm. Not to mention the fact that the disciples had to tell everybody about the fact that the Lord calmed the sea and stopped the wind. Then there's this guy with a legion of demons living in the graveyard. He comes crying out and Jesus sets him free. Guess what he did? He went and told folks. And if you have been set free. Or you tell me you've been set free and you're not going to tell somebody. You've got to tell somebody something's wrong. You're sick. You were born sick. You don't want to suck the mother's breast. You don't have a desire for the pure word of God's milk, the milk of God's word, indicating a sickness. Sickness. Just want to get to heaven. No, no, no. You're going to get there. But that's not what this is about. So, got to tell somebody. It is the nature of fire to warm us. It warms us, thus heat and light. That's what Whitfield said. and He's one of my favorite guys. You can't have light without heat. You can't have heat without light. And if it's the true light of God, it's going to bring some heat with it. (laughs) Just get around Him. And you would hear it. Heat and light. Our cold hearts are kindled with a flame—a flame of fire for God and a love for man. When He comes, like this fire, it's like spring touching a cold land. Our hearts begin to bloom with a new life of humility and godliness. Yes. Not only do we have the divine seal of peace that passes understanding, but then He leads us to yield ourselves to our Redeemer. We yield ourselves to Him. We know now, and I'm hurrying, we're not our own. We've been bought with a price We've been redeemed with the precious blood as of the Lamb, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We renounce all claim to ourselves. Galatians chapter 2, 19-20 is real for us. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's true of me and I am glad. And listen to me. I don't want to be called by any other name, just Him. Because in Him, I have my being. I don't want to be known as an American Christian or a black Christian or a white Christian or, or a fornicating Christian or a gay Christian. I want to be known as a Christian belonging to Christ. Can somebody say amen? Thank you. If you and I are content without this, then you're content without partaking. Of God's holiness. One more point. It is also the nature of fire to spread. It spreads. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 verse 49. I came to bring fire on the earth. When the spirit comes in this fiery baptism. With the words of. With his word. (laughs) with the words of Jesus. When the Spirit comes in this fiery baptism with these words, it's like a large, hot fire from mouth to mouth. sets things on fire. And this will produce, listen to me, conflict. Look with me very quickly in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Just quoted the front part of it, but Jesus finishes his thought there, beginning with verse four and going through. this, forty-nine. I'm sorry, Luke twelve forty-nine. I came, says Jesus, to cast fire on the earth, and would that it was already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I've come to give peace on the earth? No. I'm bringing fire. I tell you, but rather division. For now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father and mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. When the Holy Spirit comes like fire and the words of Jesus start going from mouth to mouth, there will be no peace made with the world, with the flesh, or with the devil. We don't make peace with those guys. We don't make peace with that. We speak the truth in love. We speak in humility. But we don't make peace with that. Jesus' words set people on fire. John the Baptist starts preaching. He's preaching with fire. What's one? He got his head cut off. Immediately, they start wanting to kill Jesus. When, John, when the disciples were baptized with the Holy Spirit and begin to preach as with fire, it was like, what happens? They want to kill Him. They beat them. They have to flee for their lives. There is this conflict that happens and it can't help but happen. Get ready for it. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Hot war will come. And it's here. We got people that think it's a really neat deal to kill babies. They have... A woman's rights. Well, I'm here to tell you the baby has rights. And we need to stand up for those rights. We need to stand up for the orphan. Nobody else with. If his mother hates it, if his daddy hates it, if his grandpa and grandma hates it, and the doctors hate it, somebody needs to love it. And if you love it, guess what? Those who hate it, they're not going to like you. But that's okay. That's Okay. It's the fire. When did we see this fire? We saw it in the days of the apostles. Read Book of Acts. We also see it in the days of the reformers. Listen, read the testimony of the axe and of the sword and of the fire. But let me encourage you. The church, I think I'm quoting this, right? I can't even remember who did it. The church is an anvil on which many a hammer had been broken. It will always be. And the hammers that strike it will not. Because we are gods. In the days of the reformers and the days of the apostles, this burning word spread from home to home, from heart to heart, from man to wife, from wife and man to children, from house to house to community, to nations, to Germany, into England, into Scotland, into America. it spread like fire from land to land. And I believe if we are a witnessing church, it can be. But you've got to get ready for this part of it as well as the rest of it. Amen. Next week we'll examine ourselves a little more if you think you can handle it. But praise God for His Word, for His Holy Spirit, for His baptism of the Spirit, for filling us with the Spirit, for sealing us with the Spirit, for equipping us for the work of the ministry with the Spirit and for giving us the truth about this, that we can stand and speak the truth in love, with humility and gentleness, and even if it's possible, respect to those who are at odds with the Word of God. <clears throat> oh Father in Heaven, I thank You, Lord, for Your, for your light. For your fire. Holy Spirit, we thank you for coming. Jesus, we thank you for asking the Father and for the Father sending. We thank you that you never leave us, you never forsake us. And so we seek to yield ourselves to you here right now, Father. And I pray, God, for each and every soul that's seated in this place. Because... I know there are some seated here that don't know what I'm talking about. They don't, maybe don't even care. That won't examine themselves in the light of this. I pray, God, that You would convict their hearts in Your mercy and love and cause them to go home and fall on their face before Your throne. Grant them repentance, Lord, from dead works that they might live and that light might shine the light that testifies of your goodness to us may you take your word that I have so poorly tried to bring it may it find depth of soil and good hearts may it produce fruit to the glory of your holy name 30, 60, and 100. And be with us as we worship you with this parting song. In Jesus' name, amen.